Welcome to The Ride Podcast by the Horse and Rider editorial team. The Ride takes you on a deep dive into stories of horse men and women who have inspired us for generations. I'm your host, Michaela Jaycox, and I will be taking you into the Horse and Rider vault to explore stories crafted by leading authors in horse and rider history to expand your understanding of the personalities that shape this Western horse life. This episode of The Ride is brought to you by Horse and Rider On Demand. The Horse and Rider On Demand program offers training and horse care videos for riders of all levels of Western disciplines from trusted, proven resources. To check out Horse and Rider On Demand, go to ondemand.horseandrider.com. Hi guys, welcome back to The Ride. This episode of The Ride is going to be a little bit different. We aren't going to be reading a profile this episode. Instead, we will be doing an interview with the cool and awesome Australian Jody Morton. Um, guys, are you guys as excited as I am about yeah. this change-up? I love that you got to crack out and do an interview. Was it fun? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was actually a little stressful. I thought I lost the <laughs> conversation after I recorded it, and it is an awesome conversation. Jody is just so easy to talk to and so friendly that the conversation was smooth, and everybody is going to love to hear her talk. And I think our audience is really going to resonate, or she's really going to resonate with our audience because she's not a famous trainer. She's not competing. She's trail riding for a great cause. Yeah, so she is, she just finished up actually riding the Continental Divide Trail where she was raising awareness for mental health. Um, So I think that that is a great cause. She stopped along her route and spoke about it. So I think that that's an interesting talking point that you guys will enjoy throughout our conversation. Yeah, I was super excited when Michaela told me that she had found this girl on Instagram through a friend. I was like, we have to interview her. She sounds super cool. It's a very millennial thing to do, Michaela. Find her th- on Instagram <laughs> through a friend. Well, my friend, we released the first episode of The Ride, mm-hmm. and my friend reached out to me and said that you need to check out Jody. She is so super cool. So I did and decided that she needed to be on the podcast because how cool is she? She even says that she's not a trainer, that she just enjoys trail riding. So that's what she does, and it's pretty cool. Well, I, you know, this is different from our, like, who are, we regularly work with in the magazine for Horse and Rider, and I think it's really cool that we get to branch out of our shell when it mm-hmm. comes to the print magazine and even online digitally and, you know, introduce people to these cool people that we're just finding out about ourselves. Yeah, for sure. I think you'll probably do, like, a, a few things you didn't know about Jody Morton before you get started on this, on the website, so people can look for that, too. Yeah, because there were some things in conversation that I had no idea about her. Before I even started talking to her, I had no idea that she was from Australia. Mm-hmm. She actually came over here to the United States to work at Sea Lazy U here in Colorado, and that's where she met my friend, actually. I, which I had the opportunity to go there last year. It's an amazing uh, guest ranch, and it's super close to Denver. I mean, I think it took me like two hours to drive there, which is not bad. And um, So I could see why she would choose to go there. And you told me that she actually met Julie Goodnight there. Yes, the horses that she's riding are actually through a friend that Julie knows. And she called up Julie to ask her for some 
help finding a place to stay along her route and ended up with some horses. So. And that's that's a familiar name that our audience will for sure know. We've done a ton with Julie. She is wonderful with trail riding expertise. She does a lot of basic groundwork, horsemanship skills. Um, so I think it's, it's obvious. I mean, it's really cool how we found this girl that, you know, we hadn't been familiar with. And, and it turns out that she has a lot of ties to horse and rider that we didn't even know about. Totally. I think this is a good opportunity, too, to let our audience know about something on our website that might help them take a journey similar to Jody's. We have a where to ride guide on our website that's got, you know, that has articles about the Sea Lazy U, that has, you know, articles from every single state in the union about where you can ride and how you can ride there, um, and then also beyond the, the continental United States. So just check that out. Check the where to ride guide out on the horseandrider.com, and um, you might be able to put together a journey much like Jody's. Yeah, and she also offers some advice throughout our conversation, so check out the Where to Ride guide, listen to the podcast, get some advice, and then head out on a similar trail ride. Absolutely. So, I guess we will now jump into the interview with Jody. Hi, Jody. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How are yourself? Yeah, good. It's been a good day. <laughs> good. So, Jody, can you tell us a little bit about your horse riding background. Where did you start riding horses? How did you get into horses? Um, I know that you're from Australia. Is that correct? I am, although I've been spending a lot of time over here in the States recently, so hopefully I'll be able to spend more as well. Yeah, awesome. So tell us a little bit more about that horse riding background. Yeah, so I think my parents made the mistake when I was about two years old of moving into a property just across the road from um, horse pastures. So as long as I can remember, I've been that really annoying horse crazy kid. And then my grandpa took it to the next level when I was about five and took me for my first horse riding lesson. And it was all, um, you know, downhill from there or uphill from there, depending on who you ask. <laughs> um, so I, um, I've been riding since I was about five um, on and off, but it wasn't until I was about 12, I picked up a, um, a neglect case that was just dumped in those pastures across the road when I was yeah 12 years old. And I think from there on in, I was just absolutely obsessed. I didn't miss a single day of going to visit that gelding in about three years. And I think it was then that mom and dad figured out that maybe, unfortunately, it wasn't just a phase. and. Um, <laughs> and then I, yeah, everything just escalated from there. Um, so I grew up riding dressage and show jumping and kind of just tuning around that area that we did have. And um, when I was 24, I actually went over to Colorado for one summer at a guest ranch and ended up doing three summers, three falls, and a winter. And that's when I discovered. Um, western like the western style and more of like the buck Brannerman style of horsemanship and from there on in I completely changed and I don't think I've sat in an English saddle now for ooh, a couple of years so that that's my horse riding experience in like a really small nutshell <laughs> oh my goodness yeah so I actually know Jody through a mutual friend who worked is it at the same guest ranch is that where you met Hannah yeah, Sea Lazy U. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about your time at Sea Lazy U? I know that our editor, Nicole, has also spent a little bit of time at Sea Lazy U. 
Oh my gosh, it is such a small world, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the guest counts there, I actually went over as um, initially as one of the six to 12 kids counselors is what I was um, originally going to do. But because I was a little bit older, I ended up moving into the teen program. And then for my second and third year there, I, um, I ran the teen program and just had a phenomenal time but I don't think that any job where you literally get to ride every day is going to be bad it was just one of the best jobs of my life and my poor parents were sitting there being like all right I guess six months you know she'll go over she'll come back it'll be great and then everything started getting extended and I came home a year later for about two weeks just to get a new visa so I could go straight back there and um yeah, poor mum sitting there being like, can you please be an adult? Just go back to your career. I think I did it backwards because I uh, I was working at an IT company called IBM and then I left there to go and ride horses in Colorado and after, yeah, three years there, I came back and uh, was working at another IT company, Hewlett-Packard, in sales and then quit that job to, um, to stop and do this big crazy adventure that, I've been on recently. Yeah, well, I think the big crazy adventure is probably the more fun and better option anyways. So since you kind of led <laughs> into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about your adventure? I followed you on Instagram and have been following along on that journey. And oh my gosh, does it seem amazing? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, this thing has turned into something that I like way bigger than I ever imagined when the first, like when the idea first popped into my head so um the reason that i ended up doing uh these big trail rides is it's one of those things where you have a really negative experience in your life that i think so much good has come out of that so i had a um a friend and someone that was a grandmother figure in my life um technically no blood relation but that was the role that she had and therefore that's the title that she gets type thing. So um, I had a friend and my grandma pass away from suicide within about 12 months of each other, um, from 2016 and 2017. And the link between them was that they were both passionate about horses and they both lived in rural areas. And so what I decided, um, I was working in corporate at the time and um, I, was, <laughs> I wasn't loving it being in an office every day especially after my office had been eleven and a half thousand acres in Colorado prior to that but um what I decided to do was to do a ride and I'd heard of this trail that runs up the east coast of Australia it's 3,300 miles and um, it links a whole bunch of rural towns so the idea that I had was that I wanted to ride that trail as a tribute to my friend and my grandma and talk about mental health along the way as I went through all of those rural areas and so that idea, like what became is like, oh, wouldn't that be cool? Just became like bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden I was quitting my job and getting horses and going over to the States and learning to pack. And then before I knew it, I was taking my first steps out on the Bicentennial National Trail in Australia. So then, um, yeah, everything kind of started moving. And unfortunately, I got cut off by the drought in Australia after about 600 miles. Um, it was getting really tough uh, water-wise. So my last day, I was supposed to have about eight river crossings and all bar 
two of them were bone dry and the two that we did cross were only trickles. So it was starting to get a little bit stressful not knowing if my water sources that were supposed to be there were going to be there. And another side effect of the drought is, of course, seed is a lot harder to come by. And so that was getting really expensive. Um, so I had to figure out a plan B. And so <laughs> I actually finished um, my Australian section in January of this year, January 10th. And then I figured out that plan B had better be the CDT over here in the States. And so by the 22nd of Feb, I was already over here um, starting to get my route planned because this year was a ridiculously high snow year as well. So I was trying to plan around that, look for horses. I bought a truck, trailer, horses, organized all of my um, routes, water sources, potential campsites. And then, yeah, started started the CDT out here. And um, I didn't end up doing as many miles as I wanted. I got, oh my gosh, it was just a roller coaster. I got caught up a bunch of times. My beautiful truck that I bought broke down. Um, well, I think the number of times we broke down now reaches across two hands, but it's been an adventure. It's been a roller coaster. <laughs> it sure sounds like it. <laughs> So you said your truck broke down. Um, what other encounters did you come across on the trail? Um, you know, I saw in some videos that it was snowing. So what kind of weather and different animals and types of things like that did you encounter? And how did you prepare yourself for those different encounters? Um, well, I'll start, I'll start with the snow. As an Australian, I feel like my blood freezes below about 65 degrees. And so starting, starting the trail, I knew that I was going to run into a little bit of snow, but the naive Australian that I am figured that by mid to late May, early June, there wouldn't be too much of it about. Um, I was wrong. I was completely wrong. And uh, I paid for that on trail. So there was a huge learning curve, obviously, on trail. Every time I go out, I learn something new. but. Um, one of the biggest lessons that I got from my very first day on trail is if you waterproof something, always check that you actually did it properly. Don't just think that you waterproofed it and therefore it's waterproof. So, oh. um, my, my first day on trail, I actually started in Wyoming in the, in the basin, so the Red Desert, uh, because according to all of the snow reports, that didn't have any snow and that was going to be the nicest weather to start in. Um, and I was watching the snow reports like an absolute crazy person. So they got refreshed every three days and I was on there every two and a half days, pretty much. It's been like early, early and they there. But so the basin was looking like it was going to be my best option. So I went out there and um, I had a friend with me for the first two days. I'd only had my horses for a couple of weeks at this point and I just wanted someone else there while I was still getting to know them for the first two days. So um we rode both my horses. I remember waking up on that first day um, and just looking out the back of the truck. We had a truck, my truck and trailer parked at the end trailhead and the, his truck at the start. And there was just snow everywhere. I was like, nah. And I just kind of like pulled my quilt back over my head for a little bit. Um, but yeah, it kind of started to burn off. And um, he kind of chastised me a little bit. He's like, stop being a wimp. Let's go. I was like, but I am a wimp. It's who I am. <laughs> um, and we started out okay, the snow burned off, and we started riding, but then um, 
it kind of it started getting super super windy and we saw the clouds roll in and um it started raining like almost horizontally i just remember the right hand side of myself was completely saturated and i was kind of prepared for snow but i wasn't as prepared as i thought i was for rain and so i um when i was working at sealy's view in the winter i had carhartt overalls for the snow but of course colorado snow is super super dry and so i never had a problem but so i was like all right cool bundle up like i had a skinny jacket and my carhartt overalls on but everything got absolutely saturated uh from this rain and then it started sleeting and then it started snowing and i think yeah i think you would have seen that video on instagram of both my horses just looking absolutely miserable covered in snow Selma has a snow crown <laughs> you can barely tell what color she is and all of us were just um yeah just like a, a little bit miserable um being wet and cold and i actually walked most of that afternoon because i was getting so cold um but we got to camp and i set up yeah set up camp set up the tent made sure the horses were fed and watered and they were okay and by that point i was like all right you know what let's change into dry clothes everything's fine it's going to be great um and that that point was where i found out that my waterproofing job was terrible and all of my stuff was wet uh, i put on fresh socks but i didn't need to wring the water out of them first and <laughs> my thermals were wet so i ended up putting on wet thermals putting my wet jeans back on and then getting into my wet quilt and yeah it was still snowing outside and i think that might have been the coldest that i've been so um yeah i learned i learned a lot and then i decided to come off trail i actually busted my stirrup off my saddle completely one of the nuts on the side of my stirrup came off um and so without that i couldn't put my stirrup back on so the next day <laughs> i ended up doing a um a 25 mile day with one stirrup oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i only barely had enough room to put it in a saddlebag because um when i had all of my stuff on me and i didn't have a pack horse at this point because i had my friend with me and he was riding my pack horse um there's very limited space and i had a couple of people being like why don't you just take off both stirrups because like, there's literally nowhere to put them unless i want to ride with them in my hands um so that was that was a good time but i ended up coming off trail a little bit early just like one day early um because i didn't really want to keep riding with one stirrup and um, everything was still wet <laughs> from being rained on and snowed on the day before um so i kind of like pulled off trail and reconvened and by that point i had a couple of weddings coming up and so i took a little bit of a break which was scheduled anyway but then um yeah, when I got back on trail in Montana, um, mid-June, yeah, I also hit snow again. At one point, it was snowing so hard that I couldn't actually see anything, so I would just tuck my chin to my chest and, like, just hope that Selma, my lead horse, just would find her way. And I left the trail a couple of times that day, and I have these maps on my phone, the gut hook app, and I swear that's saved me so many times because there was so much snow that I couldn't even see the trail I would just try and keep my little red GPS arrow on the little red line that I was supposed to be on so um yeah it it was a lot but looking back it was it was pretty cool pun pun intended no pun intended 
Yeah. Uh, well, you're braver than I am. I, although I'm not from Australia, <laughs> the snow is one of my <laughs> least favorite things. Going back to your previous question about mishaps on trail, I did have a couple because every trail is going to have its mishaps. Uh, in Australia, I had a couple of mishaps, uh, which actually turned into really, really fun stories. So, for example, I had three horses back home with me for my first ride, and um, I made the mistake early on of hanging on to one and letting the other two kind of like free graze. And, um, of course, it just happened to be at the campsite where we needed to do a river crossing to get to it that um, I took the horses down to water, and one of my horses looked across the river, looked at me, and was like, don't you dare. And she goes, I'm out. And then my other horse... I had the horse that I was holding and I tried to go back the opposite way to bring in my pack horse. And he looked at me, looked at my other horse and was like, see ya. And so of course these guys start taking off down the trail the way that we'd come. I only had a short lead rope on the horse that I had. And um, I'd only had her for, I think maybe, maybe two months leading up to this. And so I didn't have a lead rope that was long enough for reins. So I kind of just vaulted onto her bareback with a lead rope on one side and just kind of like said a little prayer and took off down the trail. And um, I we ended up going flat chat down this trail. It was muddy. There was puddles everywhere. And the horse that I was riding was jumping all the puddles. And I ended up overtaking my Appaloosa lead mare, but I couldn't catch my pack horse because he was going too far. So I kind of just cut her off grabbed her lead rope and went trotting back towards camp and like hoped that he'd follow and that plan worked but um yeah so I ended up getting all of them back and then from then on they were all in timeout but I don't know the mishaps are good things because they're generally learning experiences yeah they're generally learning experiences that you can look back on later and laugh at uh, and like there are fun mishaps like that and then there are mishaps that are not as fun so, for example, um, when I was in the Bob Marshall, one of my horses, my pack horse, actually went lame all of a sudden. And um, so it wasn't something that was, like, building up. He was completely fine in the morning. We were walking out, and then I was going down this relatively steep grade, and he kind of just started, like, pulling back on the lead rope. And um, he was super, super short, sore in his shoulder. And so... I um, didn't have enough room to stop at that point. The trail was super, super narrow. So we went through a little bit further until I found an opening, which just happened to be a campsite, which was super lucky. And so day stopped there. I unpacked everything, had the horses out to graze. And um, I had Banamine with me, which is a painkiller. But I had the injectable Banamine. And, of course, some smart human left their shops at home. So I couldn't inject it. So I ended up calling a friend and she brought in her horses and her mule so that I could pack everything out on her mule and we could get um, Tigger out just slowly and surely with no load. And she brought in um, oral banamine as well. And so he was right as rain after that. But that was just one of those things that you obviously hope is never going to happen, but you do need to be prepared for it. And I should have been more prepared for it and remembered, you know, both halves of the banamine, the syringes and sharps, as well as the actual um, drugs. But, so that was one of the mishaps that 
was another learning experience, but not quite as fun as the first one. And then there's, <laughs> going into story time for a second, then there's other moments that you don't really plan for and you don't see coming. For example, on my last section in Colorado, I was up super, super high. So we'd already done our first 13, like our first 13,000 foot peak by, I think it was 8.30 that morning, 8 or 8.30. So we'd gone up high really early and we were just along this ridgeline, which stayed at around 12,500 feet for most of the morning. And it was super windy. Like ridiculously windy that wind cut through everything it cut through my three or four layers of like puffy and vest and cut I didn't have a car hat but I had my windbreaker at that point and I had my jeans on and I had my chinks on and they're hair on high chinks and they're pretty heavy and that wind cut straight through them as well um, but as we were riding along I had my sunglasses completely blown off my hat like they just went flying and luckily it was just straight ahead of us along the trail um, but they went about 10-15 yards ahead of us and the ridge line that we were on was relatively narrow um, but it wasn't so narrow that I couldn't get off so I jumped off and I had my Makati in my hand and I always ride with a Makati when I'm on trail for these reasons that you can jump off still have a lead rope and then I could have my range around the saddle horn and so I jumped off, had my Makati in my hand, and then went to um, pick up my sunglasses. But as I stood back up, we had this giant gust of wind. Um, and when I say gust of wind, like gust of wind so strong that it completely blew me over. And even Selma, my horse, had to take like side steps to brace herself. <laughs> and... If I hadn't have been holding on to her, like onto my Makati, um, I probably would have gone for a little bit of a tumble down the side of that ridge line. <laughs> so what happened was I went sideways, but because I was still holding onto my reins, I obviously jerked her, and she did not appreciate that because at the best of times, jerking on your horse's face is quite rude. But so I jerked her, and then she pulled back because, yeah, like I said, that was quite rude to jerk on her face. But she actually pulled me back. Um, so, you know, another one of those mishaps, it's a learning experience, but, um, yeah, it, it makes the good stories later. Yeah. So what would you advise somebody that wants to do a trail ride of this caliber, you know, listening to some of these stories, it is not for the faint of heart or anybody that just wants to saddle up their trail horse and go out for a riding adventure like this. Yeah, it definitely takes a lot of planning and a lot of preparation um in all honesty i probably went out into the cdt uh a little bit underprepared i had i had most of the basics and i i'd learned a lot on that first 600 mile ride but only having what did i do end of february march april may i only had three months to plan my route, plan my campsites, all my water sources, get my gear together, get a truck, trailer, horses, and get out there. And so definitely would not recommend. But uh, for someone that is looking to, looking to do this, just start small. And I understand that this is a say, do as I say, not as I do, because I did not start small, but I wish that I did. So by going out and doing smaller trips, so start out with a weekend trip, even if it's just one one night 
camping out with your horses and somewhere that's close to home so you have a backup if you need it. Start with that, work your way up to a week, two weeks, and then really start um, yeah, working it up from that way because what you're doing when you're doing practice rides like that is you're getting to know your gear, you're getting into the routine, and then you have enough time out there that you're really getting into it, but it's also not that long that if you do make a mistake or if you forget a key piece of gear or something breaks, then it's not the end of the world. And after, gosh, I don't know, after what probably almost one and a half thousand miles of being out on trail, there's still stuff that I was changing. Like you adapt to different, um, like different environments or different numbers of horses. There's so much that's going to be changing the whole time. And something that works at the start, you might get 500 miles in and find that it doesn't work anymore. So just having those shorter rides at the start to kind of make mistakes, because you will. I do. I still do. But you'll make mistakes um, and you'll learn what's right for you. So, and what's right for you might not be right for someone else. And I think that's really, really important because I mentioned Gillian earlier and she's incredible. She's my idol. But we do things completely differently, and that's okay. So she rides in a lot lighter hiking gear. She has an endurance saddle. Um, I ride in more of the Western gear, so I have jeans, chinks, riding boots, uh, and I ride in my wade. So it's just funny how different everyone can be. I love my saddle horn. I don't want to ride um, long rides without my saddle horn because I use it for everything. I use it when I'm packing a lot. I use it for my Makati. I tie off my halter to it. It's just, it's ridiculous how um, how busy that saddle horn gets. Or if I take off my jacket and I don't have room in my saddle bags, I'll put that around the saddle horn and tie it off with my saddle strings. But um, basically doing those smaller rides and building up, you're just going to figure out what works best for you. And then the, the, the more you can prepare with a long ride like this, then the better off you're going to be. So how did you select uh, your horses and prepare your horses for this long trail ride? Um, my horses, it's kind of a funny story. You know how um, things kind of just all fall into place sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> of course. Uh, um, yeah, well, we're going to go back to the ranch really quickly. Um, so when I was at Sealy's EU, we have a horse trainer, Julie Goodnight. Uh -huh. and she um, she used to come and do clinics in September every year, and um, she still does. Uh, she did another one this year. I was actually on ranch when she was there, and I missed her. But I messaged her initially um, and was just like, hey, I'm doing this thing. Do you happen to know of anyone that wouldn't mind hosting me while I get ready for this ride? And just like a home base of sorts. So... I emailed her and she actually got back to me really quickly and said, hey, here are a couple of people. And one of those people were her son's best friend. And she said, go and talk to Darby. And um, his dad owns a ranch that I think might be suitable. And um, so I ended up chatting to Darby and he'd done ride from Albuquerque, New Mexico over to the ranch in um Colorado it's kind of near Grand Junction so he had taken this horse named Selma the year before and her sister and 
so he's now over in Texas. So he was actually keen for her to have an actual job again rather than sit in the pasture. And then his dad had been running an outfitting business and he'd recently um, kind of shut that down to focus more on the cattle ranch. So he did have a couple of horses that were used to packing that he'd been using for outfitting. And so everything kind of just fell into place. So I ended up getting Selma and uh, one of the other horses, Tigger. And so I was super lucky because Selma had already done a long distance ride the year before. And Tig had already done a bunch of riding, a bunch of packing, and both of them just knew the ropes. So this time around, unlike my Australian ride, my horses already knew how to pack. They already knew how to highline. They were already hobble trained. And they were just brilliant. And Selma had already had a lot of mountain experience. So, yeah, it was one of those things that, yeah, initially when I messaged Julie, I didn't think she'd A, remember me or B, have the time to respond to something like that. And I owe so much to her. She is just absolutely amazing. So that's how that's how I ended up with the horses. I did um, look around a little bit, but the two horses that I needed were literally in the backyard. So it all just kind of worked out. Yeah, that sounds super lucky. Um, so I saw also on your Instagram about the different shoes that you use for them with the trail riding. And I think our listeners would love to hear about the shoes that you used on your horses for this trail ride. Yeah. So I, I've been really, really super lucky in that, um, one of my really, really close friends is Gillian Larson. And so she's done Mexico to Canada three times, including the CDT. She's done the TCT the Pacific Crest Trail twice and the CDT she did last year. And um, so she has so much wisdom and experience. So she was the one that actually got me onto these shoes that I've been using. So it's from the blacksmith shop and the Borium heel and toe shoes. So they've got Borium on them. And um, I use these carbide tipped traction nails. So Borium is super, super hard. Um, and I really, really needed something that A, was a little bit more grippy and B, wasn't going to wear out because I was going through a set of shoes in 15 days back home with oh, wow. the mileage that we were doing over rocky country. Yeah. And it's super, super tough on shoes. Um, and so being able to find something with the barium on it was an absolute game changer. So I think what they on when I first took off, Selma's first set of Borium shoes. It was about eight weeks. Her feet, they were looking fine. She hadn't grown too much toe and the shoes were in perfect condition. It was more just the timeline, like it's time to get you um, trimmed up. Whereas the shoes were in brilliant condition. That Borium works a treat and we were going through up and over all sorts of rock and hard ground and I just couldn't believe how well that they held up. So, um, for long distance rides now, I won't be going back. And the carbide traction nails, I mean, it's in their name, but they gave us so much traction because one of the things that I've been really worried about um, kind of leading up to this ride and in the past what I had a little bit of a concern with was just that shoes and rock, that combination is generally no bueno. Um, but the combination of the Borium and those traction nails just, gave us so much grip 
it was absolutely glorious. And the fact that I wasn't wearing shoes out every two weeks was also a lot better for the horses and my bank balance. I bet. <laughs> yeah, they looked pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So I thought I'd ask you about them. Um, so would you recommend them for somebody that's just casually trail riding or would you more so suggest them just for those long distance rides that, um, you know, require that extra oomph to keep the shoes lasting a little longer? Well, I, unless, um, unless you're doing like the big miles, I don't think it's necessary. Uh, so I have a whole bunch of leftover shoes because I initially bought enough shoes for three different sets for both horses and I ended up just going from two horses to one horse um, after my first Montana section. But I, I don't think I'll be using them until I go back and do another long trail, which I have them in my future. I have plans for more long trails um, in my future and that's what I'll use them for. But back home, um, unless I'm going to be going out and doing 20-mile days, day in, day out, then I don't think I'll use them. Um, it's not really necessary. And talking to the farrier uh, when I was getting that first set on, he um, he was a little bit reserved about the traction nails with the ground that we were going to go on. And he said that um, without the borium to lift the shoe up a little bit, he doesn't actually like the traction nails by themselves because they stick out and that offers so much more movement. So you're more likely to pull a shoe. So it's just a really, really great combination that I think is really, really handy if you are doing day in, day out over super rough trail. But um, I think some the riding that I do back home, I wouldn't use them. Sorry, that was a really long drawn out answer. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think that's super interesting. Uh, I don't trail ride a whole lot. I have a little bit. So I think that learning about this different type of riding is always so interesting. But you did mention that you have some more big rides planned. What are your next riding plans? And are you going to continue to ride for mental health awareness? So. I have another ride planned in August of next year and like going right along with the mental health theme, I'm actually teaming up with Ben Brooksby um, and he's a really big name in Australian mental health awareness. He has started this account called The Naked Farmer and initially initially what he said is um, he sat down, he posted a photo and he's a farmer, but he posted a photo of himself sitting in a bucket of lentils and it looked like he was naked. And he hashtagged at the Naked Farmer and he's like, overnight, I got like a thousand new followers. It just went viral. But um, he's really open about his struggles with anxiety growing up and whatnot. So he then took that momentum and has created the Naked Farmer, which is um, it's an account. I think it's across Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. But the point of it is everyone or farmers, in Australia and now it's gone international are sending in photos of themselves doing just like farm jobs like whatever they would usually do but actually naked and the point behind it is that it takes guts to get your gear off just like it takes guts to talk about mental health so the whole point of this account is to raise awareness around mental health and especially rural mental health because we have um we've got a pretty 
decent issue with rural mental health back in Australia. Um, and I know that's not limited just to Australia, but um, so he started doing tours and last year he did a tour around Australia visiting, um, visiting rural towns and farms and just talking about mental health. This year he did a tour around Tasmania, which is that little island just down the bottom of Australia. And next year we're going to be doing a tour Oh my gosh, we have so much to organize and we've kind of been putting it off until I get back to Australia and we can physically sit down together, which is going to be next weekend. It's coming up so far. <laughs> but, um, so we're going to do another tour next year around Queensland and New South Wales, but this time it's going to be on horseback. So we're, um, yeah, teaming up. I'm hopefully it'll be nice to get about 600 miles, um, out, but we'll see how we go. But that's going to be an entire month. So the entire month of August is going to be spent riding around talking about mental health and visiting towns and farms. So that one's going to be really, really awesome. I am so stoked. And I think one of the things that's stopping me from getting trail depression from coming off trail, which is a thing, is the fact that I have another one planned. Um, so it's going to be a big one. And I'm super excited because we're going to be seeing like a whole different countryside literally because it's going to be on the other side of the world <laughs> but um so yeah i'll be mixing it up from australia to the states to australia and then i do have more plans of going back and doing like joining the dots on the cdt i'd like to ride the grand canyon and maybe one day the pct so you know setting your sights small <laughs> yes yeah, looks like you have some pretty big goals planned so lately, our audience has been lacking with some trail riding content, and I thought that this would be the perfect opportunity to bring trail riding back to somewhat of a forefront for our audience. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, that'd be great. That'd be really cool because, yeah, there's not there's not really much of a, a long rider um, community. Like, there's very few people that I know that do this. Um, and you know when you're kind of in in your little niche you just kind of happen to find people that like the same things yeah it, um yeah I just haven't been finding many other people Gillian is my person and there's one other girl that um I've found that does this but she hasn't done it for a while um she's kind of out of it and then yeah back home nobody does this but there's no packing culture in Australia and that's one of the big reasons that I've been trying to move to the States. There's just no riding culture back home. Trying to find somewhere to take the horses out for a couple of days or a couple of weeks is near on impossible. Whereas here, you can go anywhere. It's like public land. This is so amazing out here. It blows my mind every time I'm out on trail that it's even accessible. Yeah, it is good. so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I love how many trails there are, and that's what... I guess I didn't quite realize, you know, that we need some more trail riding advocates to keep those trails open because if people aren't riding those trails, then some of those trails can be closed down or, you know, they say no to horses and they just turn into ATV trails mm -hmm. or different things like that. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, you've seen like some of the photos that I've put up on Instagram. I've got one today, actually that I've got ready to go that I'm going to post and I'm just being so sappy. And I was like, do I really need to put this out there? I'm like, but this is how I feel. And, um, 
yeah, I kind of talk about this. I talk about that a little bit. And I've mentioned public land before in a couple of my posts, but I think coming from a place where you don't have it, because in Australia you can't have horses in national parks, you can't have horses in state forests, um, it's, just, it's just so restricted. And being able to come here and be able to go riding and just be like, do I want to ride for a couple of hours, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, or a couple of months? which is it because I can do it. It's just, yeah, I don't take it for granted at all. Every time I'm out there, I am just like, this is amazing. I can't believe that I'm even physically able to do this. It's just, I don't know, you guys are just so lucky to have the, the trail system that you do and the access that you do and it's looked after and it just, it's just so cool. Yeah, I'm going to stop now, but I love it here. <laughs> I have mentioned Instagram. How can our listeners follow along on your journey and help support your mental health awareness campaign? How can they just be a part of your entire journey? So I focus pretty much on um, Instagram. It's where I spend most of my time. I do post to Facebook as well, but I am absolutely shocking about checking that as religiously as I do on Instagram. So if you want to follow along, see all the journey different journeys um instagram is at green gold and blues so green gold a and d blues with an s on the end and it, that came about because initially my plan was to do that 3300 miles across australia and australia is synonymous with green and gold and because i was going to be raising awareness about mental health um depression is also known as the blues and so it kind of just became green gold and blues so hopefully that'll give a little bit of context rather than trying to remember a random Instagram handle. Yeah, I was wondering kind of where that Instagram handle came from. So that's really interesting. Yeah, it just it just was one of those things that ended up just rolling. One of my friends one day turned around. She's like, why don't you just call it this? I'm like, that's a brilliant idea. Done. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so for all of you guys, make sure that you follow her on Instagram because, like I said, the photos are amazing. She does Instagram stories, so some Q&As I noticed as well. Um, I think that you guys will find that her journey is amazing, and I hope that you guys all also support her mental health awareness campaign. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today, Jody, and I hope that our listeners appreciate a little bit of trail riding content along with the ride podcast no worries thank you so much for having me it's been so much fun yeah i can't wait to talk to you again and good luck on your next trail ride we would like to once again thank our friends at horse and rider on demand for bringing you this episode of the ride remember to check out horse and rider on demand for all of your western horse care and horse training needs and for this episode's horse of the week we have a horse brought to you by a home for every horse which was created in 2011 and result to a partnership between the equine network the nation's leading publisher of equine related content and the american horse council's united horse coalition the program provides resources for 501c3 horse organizations visit a homeforeveryhorse.com for more information this horse is lucky. He is in Guthrie, Oklahoma. He seems super sweet and he is adorable based on his pictures. Um, he has a pretty special story. So I think whoever adopts him will have a horse for life. Yeah, he was orphaned at two months old. And, um, you know, they, they obviously had to help raise him a little more than somebody who, you know, had 
had their mom and um, he was adopted, but then returned. And it sounds like he needs somebody that's going to uh, help with consistency and just deal with a young minded horse. It sounds like he might have a little, you know, a little, he needs somebody with more experience than, than a beginner, but he, he but looks, definitely not naughty. It says, yeah, he's just young minded. He was really playful. So he'll, and he's only going in the state of Oklahoma. So for our Oklahoma listeners, you're the only ones eligible to adopt this guy. And they have photos of him in an English saddle and Western, so it sounds like he'll do a little bit of anything. Yeah. Yeah, he looks like he's going to be a good guy for all around. His adoption fee is only $500, guys. That is super cheap for a horse that you can love forever. He's young, so he has so many opportunities going for him. Uh, if you are interested in Lucky, go to ahomeforeveryhorse.com and click on Adopt a Horse, and you can search for Lucky and find him. And we want to know if you do adopt Lucky, of course, so that way we can share that information with all of our listeners and viewers. Yeah, if you do, uh, send us an email at horseandrider at aimmedia.com. We'd love to hear about your successful adoption stories, maybe even do an interview with you on the podcast. Um, but we also just want to hear from you guys. We want to know what you want to hear more of. Um, if there's somebody in particular that's super cool that we might not know about, um, tell us. We want to, you know, we want to get on their radar. So please email us. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Ride Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this profile. As always, remember to go subscribe so you get a notification every time we release a new episode. While you're there, why don't you give us a rating? We want to know how we're doing. And this also helps other listeners find us. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. See you next time.